Hey guys, Jack here. Thanks again for tuning in this week. A quick reminder, head to our website, justhandspoker.com. There you'll find information about coaching and our membership program. Keep in mind, our membership program has a money-back guarantee. But if you're a little more risk-averse, then you can try it for free. So head to justhandspoker.com, follow the links to membership, and explore the rest of the site while you're at it. All right, thank you guys so much, and enjoy this week's episode. Hello. Uh, This week, it's actually just going to be me, uh, no Jackson Lasky. He's enjoying a lovely weekend vacation with his girlfriend. Um, But it's not just going to be me talking to you for the whole time. I have a very special guest today, the one and only Kenna James, coach, player, commentator, poker poker player extraordinaire. How are you doing today, Kenna? (laughs) Great, but not porn star. Not porn star? No, because if you if you Google Kenna James, you're going to get a lot of porn pictures. Because that, that's what happened. I was looking you up before, and I was like, oh, wow, okay. I did not expect this based on <laughs> I know. meeting you in person. But. She, she reached out on me on Twitter, too. It said, uh, hey, man, uh, we should we should meet. And uh, actually, I did meet her. She's a nice girl. But anyway, so that's not me. Don't get me confused with the porn star. That was 30 years ago <laughs> and 50 pounds ago. Got it. <laughs> so it's good to be here, Zach. It's uh, We had a, a chance to play with each other for the first time in Binion's last week. Uh, really admired your play a lot. You. And uh, we connected and invited me to come on the show. It's, it's great to be here. Thank you. I appreciate that. So uh, do you have a hand from the Binion's tournament? I actually do. I brought a few hands uh, for you uh, that we can talk about since I'm a dinosaur and I come from the the old age, uh, however the young guns uh, refer to us. So I brought usually dinosaurs, yeah, dinosaurs. So I I I brought one from the age of the dinosaurs, Uh, and also you can actually some of these a couple of these that I brought from that period you can actually view, uh, so you can. People who want to see the hand play out for itself can actually watch it. Cool. And uh, so I have a couple of those. And then I have one from just the the Binion's tournament that you and I played. Well, generally the hands we like to talk about, whether with like guests or our own hands, are the ones that kind of had the most interesting decision points where mm-hmm. kind of to this day you still weren't sure of what the correct action was on a given street. So whichever uh, one of these hands kind of you don't feel as confident at most confident about what the correct okay. play was. Yeah. I think that would be the most interesting for the podcast. All right. Well, uh, yeah, there's definitely one that falls in that category from, again, from the dinosaur age. It's uh, 2005, the Monte Carlo Millions, uh, $25,000 buy-in event, um, and uh, nine players remain. Okay. And we're playing down to a final table of six. Okay. So it's a shorthanded table um oh so oh it's only it's it's five-handed it's five-handed okay i yeah. see yeah. and it's a tournament hand okay uh so that was the one i was thinking about uh, cool let's so, let's hear the full hand history so all right so we're you know obviously um this is a very high profile tournament there's a lot on the line mm-hmm. uh, for those of you who don't know uh this is the tournament that phil ivy ended up winning uh, he has this classic hand that he gets heads up with uh, versus Paul Jackson, in which they go to war, mm-hmm. uh, raise, re-raise, etc. 
and Ivy makes this tremendous read. So this particular tournament is known for that hand. Okay. And my hand actually comes uh, a little bit earlier in this tournament with nine players left against Paul Jackson, okay. who ends up in that heads-up thing. So that's kind of interesting. Cool. And in this particular hand, um, we're playing five-handed. The blinds are four and 8,000 with 1,000 ante. Um, and... Um, I've just I'm looking at my notes here, mm-hmm. and uh, this guy Jean Jacques Gibaldi is a very loose passive player. Okay, he's got four hundred and fifty thousand, and he's in the cutoff. Okay, and uh, he makes a he makes a rather strange raise over raise to thirty one thousand, um, and I am in the small blind with should I say what my hand is. Uh, yeah, but let's before we even get to your hand. What is your read on what this thirty-one thousand raises? So you've been playing with him obviously for a little bit. Like, right. how do you think his his range changes when mm-hmm. it's like a twenty thousand raise, or maybe back then that wasn't a standard? Yeah, but like, it, it wasn't yeah. standard, and I read it as um, more like in the range of I just want to pick up the blinds and annies. So okay. a very marginal. You know, I would say any pair, probably a, a fairly wide range, probably 30, 30, 35% range. Oh, you think that huge? Wow. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Because if it was, you know, and then maybe not not the top of that range. Like, okay, yeah. Because why make it so much? It looks like he's trying to discourage action. And have you seen him do something like this in this tournament yes, or another tournament before? Absolutely. And he well, showed- not in another tournament, in this tournament. He was definitely the producer in the game. I mean, he's the one that you okay. wanted to play hands with. I see, okay. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a field, you know, like I said, Ivy, Gus Hansen, Antonio. I mean, all the top players, Phil Locke, everybody's there. Yeah. So anytime you found somebody that, you know, wasn't in the top echelon of players you wanted to try and get involved with. So that's kind of what my mindset was. And this guy was not a professional poker player? Not at all, no, a businessman. Okay, cool. Uh, Jean-Jacques Gibaldi was his name, and he's got about 450,000. Okay. And so I think his range is pretty wide. Got it. But one of the things you mentioned when we get into the hands is that decisional point, you know, uh, it was there some confusion? And... Absolutely. So I have King 10 in the small blind. Okay. And the confusion is I can play this either way. I can three bet on margin, you know, slightly in what I mean by that is I'm either slightly in front or slightly behind his range, Mm -hmm. right? And take the lead in the hand. Yeah. Or I can just flat for value and play it post. So I'm confused a little bit on how to proceed with the hand. It's mucking five handed to me. Uh, against this particular player and with my chip stack seems, you know, too tight. What is your chip stack? My chip stack is 600,000. And what is like the the average chip stack at that time? Like, at that time, uh, like it's, it's pretty deep. I, I'm guessing, the last yeah, it's pretty deep. Yeah. Uh, so I'm guessing it's around 800,000. So I'm a little bit under average. Um, but this is actually turns out to be a three player hand at the beginning. Um, so I was going to say, for mm-hmm. ICM considerations, I actually wouldn't hate a fold. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're playing against the guy, the one guy besides the chip leader right. that, um, you know, theoretically should be 
not risk averse and wanting to play pots because he's he's the, the lowest. Wait a minute, no, no, he's got four hundred. He's not the chip leader. He's four hundred fifty. I know 000. he's the lowest stack, right? Uh, at this table, uh, no, actually, Paul oh. Paul Jackson, the guy who ends up oh. is actually a little bit lower than him. He's got about four hundred thousand. Okay, well, I was going to say the person with the lowest chip stack for ICM reasons uh, is going to be very risk happy. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the same thing with the chip leader. They're, they're going to be wanting to take lots of risk where basically everyone, you know, between like eighth and second yeah. place theoretically is going to want to be a lot more uh, risk averse. Yes. Uh, but he's not. So if he's the if he's like the second lowest stack of the tournament right mm-hmm. now, he's actually going to be very should theoretically be very risk averse. But he's also a businessman playing in a high-stakes tournament. Exactly. So realistically, he's not going to be very risk-averse, That's right? True. That's true. Okay. Yes. Because if, if if he was going to be kind of correctly risk-averse in this spot, well, one, he shouldn't be raising a 31000 But two, mm-hmm. I mean, your three-bet basically threatens his entire stack. So then I would mm-hmm. really like a three-bet here, especially with kind of your understanding of what his range is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... I, this is a weird spot. I really think it can go all three ways, actually. I, That's I, right. I, That's I really don't hate a fold because, because you have the, the shortest stack in the big blind mm-hmm. who, if you flat... Like, if this is a professional player, which sounds like it is, right. uh, he's also going to be aware of this 31,000 race size. So when you flat, I think there's like a decent amount of the time that at least he should be three-betting with a wide kind of, you know, merge value range. Right. Uh, Exactly, but remember, this is 2006. Okay. So that thought doesn't, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it's not fully evolved. Let's put even put, Even amongst the best professionals. Okay, yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, it's more like if if there's a steal going to happen, it's going to be a shove. You know, it's, it's much more wow, pre-flop. Okay. It's more pre-flop play than it is setting yourself up for post-flop and and playing long-term and the deep into the hand, bigger. and the yeah, sizes yeah. are bigger. So, I mean, that's one of the differences, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and we'll talk about how that changes drastically in the hand I played of today. But um, anyway, so, yeah, you can't... That's the confusing part. You can go men- multiple paths with yeah. this hand. Uh, and which path am I going to choose? It ultimately... I. What ended up determining my decision was my opponent in the big blind, okay. who was Paul Jackson, yeah. who was known for me playing with him, uh, English player, very tight, solid, straightforward player. Okay. And even from my limit hold'em days, a lot of times I'd bring some of those concepts into my no limit at that time, yeah. and I would like to three bet just to improve my equity in the hand and drive the other player out. Yeah. So had I had a different opponent in the big blind, I might have three bet. But because Paul, my perception of him was tight, solid, he wasn't going to, I didn't really need to isolate just the flat of 31,000, which was an over raise anyway, um, almost 4x, would be enough to drive him out with all his marginal, even his marginal type hands. Yeah. So... uh, yeah, so I elect uh, of those three options. And I thought, to go back to your other path about folding, Yeah, if you fold there and you're playing five-handed, uh, what hands are you going to play? Exactly. I mean, the, the folding, it, it's not from a chip EV perspective. It's from an ICM consideration perspective. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. 
basically the, the, the reason I'm folding there is because you have the two shortest stacks in the tournament mm. as the razor and as the big blind. Yes. So theoretically, I think that's a good w- point, when, yeah. when you three bet, Paul should be shoving a lot. Uh, but given your read on this player and the time period, he's probably never going to be four bet shoving light, or might you know light would be ace king and. So you're talking about folding to avoid being in the position of allowing the big blind to have a really profitable to shove, have a profitable shove and squeeze. Exactly. And that's not he, he's so solid and straightforward. Not that he might he doesn't have that play because obviously when you see him. Uh-huh. And the heads up against Ivy, which I encourage people to watch, is a phenomenal hand. Okay. He does have that capability. Uh-huh. So, but remember, at this stage, we're all positioning ourselves uh, for the final table. Of course, yeah. And that also weighs on my mind. Because I'm, it, it, like I said, I think the average is probably about 800,000 at this point. So okay. I'm slightly below average. Uh-huh. So I'm looking to get myself in position for the final table. Of course. Not just. Uh, you know, I've got Ivy sitting on the other table. I've got a, I've already played with in this tournament that I gotta get ready for. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you elect to flat. What about the fact that Paul is like solid and tight? Why does that make you more apt to flat versus three bet? Because I, I think like a lot of hands that I don't want to see come in there. Uh, I think he's just gonna fold. Oh, even getting that price in the big blind. Yeah. Uh, so by know. so by solid you don't mean solid you mean over like incorrectly way too tight because like when someone makes well, a thirty one thousand yeah. there's already twenty one thousand in blinds there yeah. and yeah. He, you know like, well what I mean by solid is not giving anything away meaning at that remember again uh, yeah. I'll keep saying this but back at that time of course uh, it's a little bit different theory and stuff meaning um, you're you don't want to. Chips saved is is equal to chips won, right? Yeah. So there's those theories that come into play besides just pot equity and you know your equity in the hand and things like that. Yeah, I guess I just want to clarify for the listeners that sure. like just because there wasn't the kind of greater understanding of the theory that comes with time right. doesn't mean those underlying principles weren't there. Absolutely, just that it was just not like understood. a plane wasn't here 200 years ago, but. They exist now. Yeah. Uh, the theory was always there, or the thing was there, and some people were. And I'm not saying that Paul wasn't. I, you know, I can't really say that. I can't speak for him. Yeah. But, um, you know, I just thought, like, hands like Jack Nine suited and. He would you know, fold those hands. He would fold those okay. hands. And, so that know, would be a very big mistake, though. Like, just yeah. in terms of, like, what his equity is in the pot. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, in, that, in that type of thing, especially in tournament format, Sometimes there's this thing where you, you know, I'll have it with you. Like in the game, if you're uh, three betting somebody or you're uh, taking on the producer in the game, I just kind of get out of the way Yeah. when, you know, uh, if I don't have anything. No, so I- it's that silent thing where, okay, you've got them. I don't have anything. I'm going to get out of the way. It's... Um, but for example, like in the tournament, I thri- I I like would raise against you in three bet very aggressively because mm-hmm. I knew that you weren't looking to play big pots with me. That's right. So I was able to exploit you and get that money. That's correct. So like that's correct. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So you you exploited the old man. It's wonderful. No, but I mean, um, it's just because you know it's they're not big exploits, but like I get you know, it. No, yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah. No. So I would make a mistake in a, in in forcing your opponents in to make mistakes or in, and things like that is a great part of the game. Yeah. So anyway, my mentality at that point was I don't think he's going to call with a lot of those hands that I need to 
uh, 3-bet to drive out to improve my equity and isolate the, the fish. In and then case. you get to you know, take a lower variance line. A lower okay. variance line. Remember, I'm and out no, of position. Exactly. I get a managed pot size. Yeah. Uh, even though I have them out chipped, if I if we get our chips in, I'm down to 150,000. I risk missing the final table. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot on the line. Um, so anyway, my yeah. last question would be in terms of evaluating this. I think based on how much the big blind is going to be folding here, you've kind of sold me uh, that flatting might be the best play. But let's say you make it 100k. Yes. Intending to raise fold to the cutoff. Right. How often do you think that works? That that three bet works? Because based on what you said his range was, you know, 30, 35% yeah. of hands. Yeah. I would imagine that that's just going to get through a really high percentage of the time and mm-hmm. actually be a lower variance line if it works so much because you just take it down so much right. of the time. Uh, it's great. It's a great question. It, it really goes to the player. Yeah. That, the opponent that I'm against. And this opponent tended to be a little sticky. Mm-hmm. You'll see in a previous hand, he calls a big raise of mine with 10-4 suited. Okay. So enough said. So, I'm sold on the flat. Basically, so, you, you want to be raising... You don't want to be three-bet folding against this guy. You want to That's be three-bet exactly right. In. I'm either three-bet calling or... You know, and I don't want to be doing that with King-10. King Ten. But to the initial point that you made, which yeah. is very interesting, because you... I think uh, us as players, we find the situation a lot um, more in position than out of position. But actually, no, not more in position than out of In actually both situations, when you're out of position or when you're in position, do you three bet on margin or do you just flat? And again, margin are those marginal hands that figure to be above your opponent's range, but they can be slightly behind too. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I define margin, by the way. Yeah, it's an interesting way to think about it. Typically... It depends against the type of player that I'm playing mm-hmm. against, how I'm thinking about my three betting range. In tournaments, it's generally going to be polarized most of the time. But I guess against a fishier player, it'll be kind of more merged for value because I'm not expecting to have much fold equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess that's what I want to construct against this opponent where we're not really going to be... You, we don't want to have hands... Like against a good player, when I'm three yeah. betting, I have hands that I'm like, you know, snap folding to a four bet and hands that I'm like you know, snap getting it in. Gotcha. To a format. And, and then all those other ones you're flatting? Yeah, basically. I guess well, there's going to be some value hands that I three-bet fold, depending on the situation. But generally, like... So, like, in hands like, let's say, uh, you're against an opponent who's, you know, not up to your skill level, a little fishy, and you have a hand like uh, King Jack suited or uh, depends, things depends like that, Ace-10, Ace-9. Um just in general without going to stack, stack depth yet because we can always bring in other parameters. Do you, you tend to not like to take the lead in that spot when you're in position? You like to flat? I'm generally going to be flatting because I just don't see a ton of value in raising. Like Basically, it's a player that's going to be overly sticky to the 3-bet and overly sticky post-flop. I want to be basically raising a range that's stronger than their raising range. So I'm going to go thin. Like King-Jack suited might be a 3-bet because it's, it's so high up based on how wide they're opening, depending on right. the player type. But if they're, you know, maybe at worst opening King-10, like, then I'm going to be flatting and being able gotcha. to play in position with a larger stack depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it just depends on the player, depends on the type. In tournaments, doing having a polarized three-betting range or four-betting range against, like, someone that, like, seems like is a very good player puts them in a really difficult spot a lot of times in terms of chip utility. So, like... For example, if we're... So, so you're saying... Wait a minute. I have to interrupt you. Yeah, Are yeah. you saying that uh, polarizing is advantageous to you? 
Well, it depends on the player type. So you know what I mean by like a polarized range and a merged range. Right, yeah. yeah. So it, it depends on the player type. Polarizing my three betting range against a thinking player is going to make a lot more sense than having a merged value range because then I'm going to end up, you know, three bet folding a lot and I'm not bluffing enough. So mm-hmm. a, okay. a, a polarized three betting range allows me to, you know, bluff these players as well as being able to, you know. But doesn't it doesn't also make you more predictable in either or rather than in a hot cold or medium well <laughs> you it, see what i mean it now makes... i don't i know either has got it or not so i can four bet him almost with impunity because he's going to fold this thing and then i already know what he has if he continues no not at all i mean okay. it's it's not has it or not because my bluffs are going to have good board coverage so my my bluffs my, oh, my three and four bet bluffs are going to be like you oh, know so. suited aces and oh really suited, and, what about and, and what about like your six three suited and uh, that I, I just think there's very very few situations when I'm ever going to be three betting those hands, uh, especially against a decent player. It's just not going to make a lot of sense wow. okay. uh, because if yes. you are three betting six three suited, then right. that means that you're completely over bluff three betting, uh, and a player will pick up on that and be able to four bet with impunity. Because against a decent player, I'm mm-hmm. balancing my value three bets right. with you know lower suited aces and suited connectors. Right. It makes it so they can't four bet with impunity. There's going to be some hands that I fold, but there will be other hands that I five bet for value and five bet as a bluff. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So you flatted. So back to this hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I flat from the small blind, uh, expecting Paul Jackson to fold his 400K stack, but... Uh, he uh, also sees the value, like you said, and, okay. and comes along to see the flop. Okay, so... Um, with, when, a, when, with a little bit of twist to the head, by the way. So When he flats here, what do you think his range looks like? Does he have King-10 off? No, right? Yes, he does. Because uh, I read him... A lot of my game, too, is seeing how my opponents respond to the situation. Okay. And like I said, when you see the visual of this, you can see his body just tweak. Like he doesn't really like his situation, but he's almost forced by the numbers to do something he'd rather not do. Yeah. Which is play a marginal hand out of position in an inflated pot. Yeah. So yes, I think all those cards are in his range. So what do you think the bottom of that range looks like? Just because before you said mm-hmm. he would be folding jack nine suited. I just want to get a sense right. of what you think the kind of bottom uh, of this flatting range The bottom like. of his range is suited connectors. Okay. Uh, he's playing suited connectors, all uh, some suited gappers, probably, uh, probably for him nine and above in all pairs, and uh, all ace suited and probably ace eight or better. Okay. So he flats. So now we have uh, ninety. Uh, we have a hundred and twenty-six thousand in the pot. One hundred twenty-six. Yeah. So we have uh, the pot was. Uh, remember, we got the blinds. We got the antes. We got a thirty-one thousand raise. So it was sixty-four thousand in the pot to me. So I called thirty-one, which made it ninety-five. And then his thirty-one was. No, but he's just flatting it, so you have to minus the big blind and the small blind. So it would be ninety-three. No. Oh, that's it, would right. ni- it would be ninety-three thousand plus the antes. So that's right. so that's going to be at five players. Well, ninety-eight thousand. You know, the other thing we can do is uh, go to the visual, which we have here. Well, but if you, I mean, we don't need the visual. If if you know it was thirty-one thousand and the antes are a thousand, then it was right. It's right. ninety-eight thousand in the pot, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
So, like, again, you know, I apologize to the audience, but remember, guys, this is 11 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, and I had just brought this hand had come to mind, so I did watch it uh-huh. once this morning, but it's still 11 years ago, which a lot of your audience probably has, wasn't even playing poker at that time. So, yeah, all good. So, forgive uh, some of the numbers. So, okay, so let's just uh, go with we'll go with that. And uh, the flop comes King Jack 10. Okay. So now I react to this flop and I lead out for 85,000. So okay. almost a, a heavy bet. Yeah. Um, so when you're betting out here, what are you trying to accomplish with that bet? Uh, a few things. Uh-huh. Uh, one thing is uh, for value. Obviously, mm-hmm. I think I have the best hand. Okay. Uh, so I'm looking to get value against kings, combo draws, um, and so for strict value. Okay. Second thing I'm looking for is definition in the hand. Uh, I pride myself that of being able to get in and get out of hands uh, and defining them, you know. So I'm looking to see how my opponents are going to respond okay. to this flop. And uh, so I bet 85. Okay. Uh, Are you ever bluffing when you when you do this? Uh, not on this board. Mm-hmm. I'm never bluffing on this board in a multi-way pot. Yeah. Uh, and a wet board out of position. And how aware do you think your opponents are of this, like, kind of range imbalance? Um, mm, not very much. Both, both the pro. Yeah, well, that, but definitely not the other guy, but the okay. pro. I, I doubt it. Okay. Um, it's just a logical. It, it would be total. You know, it's different if it's a dry board. Let's say if it's a king high board or just an ace on board. Yeah. You know, I'm certainly going to be bluffing in, in spots like that. Okay. But oh, so you're, so you're saying they they both are aware that you're never bluffing here. You're saying. Uh, I, well, Paul, I would think yes. Paul is, okay, yeah. but not the amateur but, player. Uh, yeah, but. Uh, Jean Gibaldi, I don't think he thinks at that level. You know, he's okay. like looking at his own hand. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So I bet 85. Paul flats. Okay. Um, pretty quickly. Okay. And uh, Jean Gibaldi folds. He ends up having pocket fives. Okay. So, yeah, he was going to... Well, so, do you think he was going to see bet? Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Should I Should I check this flop? And look to check raise. Uh, yeah, typically, might be the better play. Typically, on a board that so heavily favors the preflop raiser, when you yeah. slop a strong value hand with such low SPR, I think yeah. check raising is typically going to be the best play. Yeah, uh, just because you know it really hits their range, and then especially if it's an amateur player, if he bet if he hits a pair and bets it with his stack size, he's going to have a hard time folding. Yeah, uh, you know, right. So I think I think probably check raising would be. You know, I'm not there. I don't have yeah. like the the kind of the game flow reads mm-hmm. on the opponent the way that that you did at the time. But just based on the board texture and the information that I have, I would generally be check raising this hand because, you know, if you're not check raising this hand, like, are you ever going to be check raising? You know, yeah, because you're going to be three <laughs> so, betting yeah. tens, jacks. Yeah. it's you know? it, it, it's a yeah. really good point. Uh, it really comes down to my action. Do I donk bet or do I go for a check raise? Yeah, mm-hmm. so. In donk betting, um, you know, I tend to donk bet into weak players and not 
really tough players. I, in my experience, okay. the really tough players, when you don't bet into them, uh, they know that you're really strong and tend to get away cheaper. If you are really strong all the time, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, I, I'm just saying in general. I mean, we can always yeah. talk about specifics, but in general, I think the better players realize that a donk bet into them represents strength. Uh, but like I said, this is in 2006, not in yeah, 2006. Yeah, depends on the player. A donk bet in 2006 yeah. coming from you. Of course. There's, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, and I'm playing more Gibaldi than I am playing... Paul, in my okay. mind, remember? Yeah. He, he got in this pot. So Paul is the sticky point that really gets screws with my head in this hand. Mm-hmm. So I lead out for 85. Paul calls Gibaldi, folds, and immediately red flags go up. Just because of, remember, my preflop considerations of his range being tight, being solid. When he calls 85,000 and calls a preflop, I know this board has hit him. Well, but based on that consideration, like, what hands does he really have that beat you here? Because he's he's going to be three-betting tens, jacks, kings, right? Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. Okay. Not at this time. Not in this year. Um, okay. And yeah. not even ace-queen. So Wow. Okay. I guess just, like, the tight, solid thing, you know, and means, different, means different it, it things. Totally, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what's fun, you know, is yeah. meaning. We bring meaning to things. And yeah. They mean something different now today than they did 10 years ago. And they also mean something different to me than they do to you. That's why I clarified on margin what I mean. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I just mean, again, on that, if I could define it for your listeners from my own point of view. Not, I'm not trying to be right or wrong. It's yeah. just that margin to me is on the edge of profitability. Okay. You're really yeah, yeah. pushing the edge. Uh, that's what I mean. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So... When he calls, my hand shrinks up from being the best hand to being a marginal one. So so you feel like you might be behind most of the time? No, not most of the time, just some of the time. Okay. You know, King Jack is definitely in his range. His okay. Queen is in his range. Jack Tens ten. are in his range. Do you think he has all the offsuit combos of Jack Ten and King Jack? Yes, I do. Okay, so yeah, yeah. that's a lot of hands. Yeah, so there's, there's you know, it's trouble. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I still feel like I'm in front because there's okay. so many combo draws. Jack, exactly. queen, king, queen, you know. You think um, he, if he's fighting ace, queen, you think he's ever fighting ace, king here? No, I don't think so. Okay, so so you think he has tens and jacks sometimes in his fighting range? Yes. And kings never really, right? Kings never, no. Okay, cool. Just my estimation. Yep. You know, I yeah. uh, played with him for a couple of days. Never saw him really get out of line. Yeah. Straightforward, like I said. Um, so I have some concerns. and uh, But now the pot's really inflating. Um, yeah, it's an SPR of almost one. So it's, mm-hmm. you bet 85,000? Yep. Okay, so... Uh, he calls 85, so that's 170, so 270, something like that in the pot. Yeah, yeah a little under, but basically, and, and now he has, uh, yeah, he, he has just a little bit more than a pot size bet left behind. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, the turn card comes an innocuous six. Okay. So I immediately lead out. For what I now remember, this is real time. It's just like you know uh, a referee calling something yeah. after a replay. But I bet about what I think is about half his stack. Okay, one hundred and fifty thousand. 
And are you betting that to set up a river shove on a on a blank turn card? Too 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 advanced for me at that stage. Okay. Um, at this stage in in my playing, uh, I am a player that even though I I have I know a plan for a hand. You know, there's that old saying: "Have a plan for the hand." Those who fail to plan should plan to fail. Yeah. But yeah. I'm just such a to be honest. I'm just such a player that plays in the moment there's so much i'm picking up in the moment of bodily react body bodily reaction sounds like he's he's, he's gonna be um you know just body reactions um reactions to my bets uh, so much going on that i'm really not thinking that playing you know a street or two streets in the future yep i'm playing the moment to be honest okay uh and but you're value betting here, right? Uh, I think I am value betting for sure, but it has. But I also, uh, I'm, it's a heavy value bet. So you know, there's those value bets where you're trying to eke value from your hand from your opponent. Uh, so your margin is small. You're giving them negative equity to draw to their hand, and then there's ones that you size heavier where. You don't mind seizing the value that you already have and getting the fold and whatever equity he has to draw to his hand, he releases to you as well. Yeah, well, I would imagine when you have such a strong hand on this board, especially given the fact that he is some of the time three betting right. tens and jacks, I would imagine that you prefer a call, right? I mean, his range his range really should be I'm behind get, you. Well, after he one calls. is a technical answer and one's an emotional answer. <laughs> You know, the technical answer is obviously yes. The emotional answer is, um, which will sound like nails on a, a chalkboard to your audience, but uh, I'm looking to secure a pot and move to the final table and keep mm-hmm. going. Uh, if I have to give up a little added equity, meaning that he's going to call me and not outdraw me, I'd prefer that. Okay. Yeah, I guess it's just I feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect between like the range that you were value targeting on the flop mm-hmm. and what you're trying to do now where well, like he, well, he, he say, has more one pair hands say, in his range than draws yeah, right but, yeah no but like I think he has combo draws like jack queen king queen uh huh you know those are hands that he still has a lot of equity in and you think he you folds know? for a half a half pot bet with those hands well because it's not just bet sizing and, and bets it's also you know, you got to see the forest of the trees. It's a much bigger picture than that. We're looking at at maintaining stack sizes, yeah. uh, playing against different opponents, moving to the final table. You're seeing a lot outside the hand than just the hand itself. Of course, yeah. And, and this threatens a stack at when you start. Yeah. Well, it's probably it it ends up not being half a stack. It's probably more like seventy percent of a stack. So this is like a defining moment when you him. bet one fifty. Yeah. Well, I mean, that should be about... That's about half a stack. Is that about half? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what I thought it was at the time. Yeah. But looking back, thinking back, I thought it was a little bit more, but... Well, he put in... He, he started with 400, right? Yeah. And he's put in now 31 plus 85. Mm-hmm. So he's put in... Um, yeah, so like 116. Um, what's kind of interesting is because your listeners can actually watch this mm-hmm. uh, in the chat. I don't know if you have chats and forums and stuff mm-hmm. for your thing. They'll be able to tell us the truth. They'll be able to find a, find us out. Meaning, if I'm off on these numbers or whatnot. Okay, yeah. Which is kind of cool. Which because I want to also encourage your 
you know, you do a great show and a great thing. Let them, let them get involved and uh, watch this hand uh, as we talk about it. Too. Yeah, it's always nice That's when there's a video version of a yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so anyway, so I bet half pot and I look at him and I see he's extremely uncomfortable. But he counts off as 150 and puts it in the middle. Okay. So now... Now we're going. <laughs> so now we have this huge pot that. But you uh, think you're mainly ahead when this happens, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, are we ready for the river card? Yeah. So the river card's a jack. Okay. So now the board is king, jack, ten, six, jack. Obviously, uh, an absolute horrible card for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you think he has ace jack when he calls the turn ever? I don't think so. So it's really like Jack-10 and Queen-Jack. You think that improve? That's correct. Okay. But also, let's say he did have Ace-King. Because remember, his tight image. Now I don't even beat Ace-King. Yes. Or King-Queen. Uh, yeah, or yeah. King-Queen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So now, all of a sudden, I lose to those hands. And it instantly becomes evident to me. Okay. Uh, Do you think if you check here, he's ever going to be bluffing? For his whole stack? Because no, I don't. Not okay. in this situation. Okay. So. So what do you do? <laughs> well, if you, if you could make, if you're lucky enough to play with a professional that's so exploitable that they're never going to be bluffing when checked to, I think we can, we can check fold, right? I think that's a great assumption. Yeah. So. <laughs> if I, the assumption is yeah, true, I'm, I'm yeah, going yeah. with your, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously it's, um. I didn't see this card coming. So, yeah. Uh, so, without much hesitation, uh, which is a little bit of a mistake as well, because you never want to give off tells in your timing, right? Yes. Of, of your actions. But I check, mm-hmm. and uh, he instantly bets 26,000 into a near, into a $620,000 pot. Yeah. Uh, give me like 20 to 1 on my money or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So I go into the tank and uh, I go, uh, I say to him, I say, well, how can I call? I put you on Jack 10. Mm-hmm. He says, you put me on Jack 10. I said, yeah. He says, were you beating Jack 10? I says, yes, I was. So we have this open conversation, which is which is kind of funny. You yeah. know? But I know there's there's nothing left. I mean, I can't. Raise bluff, of course, at yeah. this point. So, this is that those fun points in the hand when you can let your your valence down, your poker face down, uh-huh. and just yeah talk crap, right? Uh huh. And try and get some extra read. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did, and uh, it was really tough because I'm getting twenty two to one, and yet I just wanted to trust my read. And you folded, and I folded for twenty six, not knowing what he had. And the cameras never showed. We never, we never find out. That's not true. <laughs> the cameras show, and uh, not only the cameras show, but you know it's on YouTube, and uh, people say, "What an idiot I am!" You know, again, twenty-one. Even if you're right, you should call and all that yeah. stuff. But I just knew this player, and I just didn't think I was ever going to be wrong there. Okay. So, uh, so that was a that was a very huge pot. 
uh, I know maybe where I'm supposed to come on here and talk about hands that I win and you know all these no. great things, but no, yeah, this yeah. is a this was a very key hand because I was positioning myself for the final table and uh, I think I was probably like 86 percent going into the river and uh, and it didn't didn't hold up for me. Yeah. So um, anyway, so that's that hand. I I did end up making the final table. Cool. Uh, playing with Phil Ivy in the Casino de Monte Carlo. Uh huh. Uh, which was a dream come true. It, yeah. was, it was a wonderful, amazing experience. Nice. So, well, uh, I guess we won't reveal the results on the podcast, uh, but in the show notes, we'll put the hand. If you could just email that to me at some sure, point, sure, absolutely. Uh, we'll put the video there. But yeah, so that's definitely a cool hand. Uh, I guess poker has just really, really evolved. But it yes, just, it has. It just seems crazy that, like, you know, some of the winning professionals just having times where they're always bluffing, always value betting. Like it's just, uh-huh. you know, that's, that, yeah. I, I don't like the word always, but let's say skewed. Well, if you're folding with 22 to one, it's always right. Uh-huh. <laughs> if yeah. you're folding with 22 to one, it's because you think always, you know, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. Fair assumption. Yeah. Fair so, assumption. You know. so let's say, let's, let's just fast forward for a minute yeah. and to today, yeah. uh, to last week to sure. show you the difference. Cause for an example, I I listen to, you know, you have a you have a great uh, podcast with uh, with Berkey, right? Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. And uh, I had a great listen to that before. After you invited me, uh, just kind of get a feel for your show. And you and I played that day, and I didn't play particularly well that day. I think you won a five hundred dollar last longer with me. I don't think I know because I paid you. <laughs> um, but I came back and played the next day. Okay. And uh, so this was kind of an interesting hand. You want to do it real quick? Yeah, let's do it. So it's 300, 600, no any. Okay. Uh, there's a, an early position limper, and I'm on the button with 6-3 of diamonds, which, <laughs> okay. you know, and uh, I raised to 1,400. Okay. Uh, young Gun Pro uh, seems to be playing straight forward, pretty solid. Three bets from the small blind uh-huh. uh, to 6,000. Okay. And uh, the other guy gets out of the way. And, of course, my determination is just not to be outdone. Yeah. So I flat. Yeah. So when you flat here, do you think, like, you're going to be able to play well enough in position with 100 big blinds against this professional, even with just a terrible hand? uh, I have 200,000 at this point. He has fifty thousand. Okay, yeah. So you're you're eighty big blinds deep. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I have him way out. I have four, him four to one in chips. I have position. Well, but the effective stack is eighty big blinds, though. Right. Yeah, yeah. But again, I just you know I want to use my leverage points, which is my chips, my table position. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm just going to be able to outplay him post-flop. Okay, yeah. I I mean, I don't know who this player was. I would just generally say that against any type of professional, even if they're one of the worst ones, yeah. it's very ambitious to think you're going to be able to get that money back with that exact True, chance. but I remember I had listened to your podcast, I had, and I had listened to Berkey, and he really motivated me, so... I had I had a plan for the hand. Okay, I'm not I'm not sure it's Berkey approved, but uh, uh, it may not be. We'll have to ask him. But uh, yeah, but it may be as we go to post. Okay, 
So uh, the flop comes down jack 7-5 with okay. one diamond. Okay. Give me the gut shot. And uh, I had made my determination. This is a beautiful board for me because it's in my calling three-bet range of sets, of um, top pair. Just, you okay. know, has me all over the place. Okay. Uh, also, the cards that can come are really going to fill up my hand nice. Yeah. So I just think it's going to be very difficult for overpair hands to continue on three streets for his whole stack. That's my thought on sure. this flop. Okay. Uh, so he uh, he bets out seven thousand. Okay. And big bet, yeah. Yeah. So he makes a big bet. He's selling me a big pair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I call. Okay. So I'm floating flop. Okay. Uh, not not just you know I'm not really calling to draw to my hand. I'm really calling more to float. So yeah, it just I mean you said before that you're. You play more in the moment and think less of a plan, but I think this is a good spot that illustrates where, like, it's sometimes a good idea to have a plan because, yeah. so, especially when right. you really want to win this pot, right? Um, it could be really tempting to win check two on the turn, just bet kind of regardless. But I think there's some cards where, like, even if he checks, you might you might as well just give up. Like, I think if like mm-hmm. the jack pairs, right, and he checks. It's just going to be a really hard run out to get a fold. You know? That's true, but, then I, but like, then I may check it back and then shove river. See, so I, yeah, I, of course. I'm going to play this as if I flopped a set. Uh, okay. So whether I and, I, and and when I float, I can do a delayed float, meaning if he checks back and I got a bad turn card, I can check it back, and then if he leads river, I can jam. Yeah. I can. I mean, my okay. my plan is to get him to play for a stack. Sure. Okay. And uh, so. And if I catch a good turn, go ahead and leverage it there. Yeah. And then fire again on the river. Yeah. Or And go fire, fire if check two. Yeah. Uh, and if not, the only way I lose this hand, if he three barrels me and goes all in. If he three barrels me and goes all in, obviously there's nothing I can do, right? But on a bad turn card, you're going to call a bet? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. Or I might even raise. Okay. So depending on what the turn is. Okay. That's my plan. Cool. Uh, so um, so the turn is a nine, offsuit nine. So now the board is jack seven, five, nine. Okay. So we have like 27K approximately in the pot. Mm-hmm. And um, he started the hand with uh, 50K. That's right. So now he has uh, uh, 37 behind. Mm-hmm. Cool. So like SPR of like 1.3, 1.4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So uh, so now, uh, of course, I pick up an 8 for a straight 2. So yep. I got the double gutter. Double so gutter. I obviously adds a lot of value for my hand. Uh-huh. It also, thinking on another, thinking on, you know, what does he put me on? Yeah. Thinking on that level, this cannot be a good card for him. Yep. So when he bets 14,000, obviously I'm not overjoyed, but I'm more overjoyed by the, the card actually mm-hmm. helping my hand yeah so uh now i can either raise or i can flat mm-hmm. and because of who he is and my perception of him i think it looks stronger just to flat than to raise in the spot okay so you think you're going to have more fold equity against his over pairs when you when you flat this hand and shove the turn if he checks uh, shove so the river shove the, if that's he right. checks. I, that's what i think and when he bets again pretty big here kind of you know, he's betting 14K of yeah. his uh, 
like 37k stack. Right. So if if you call, that means on the the river, he's gonna have less than a half pot bet left. Yeah. So that seems it's, it's, pretty it's, strong it, to me. It's like, very yeah. It's very yeah. Exactly. It's very and it's very high risk situation. But to me, the yeah. way he's pushing his hand through doesn't look like he's going for a lot of value. To me, it's very polarized in the sense of he's either trying to push through a big ace or he's got the big pair. You okay. know. I and mean, that's how it appears to me. Yeah, do you think you would be value betting queens like this on the turn? I don't. Maybe. But, okay. but definitely polarizing the sense I don't think he's got a set or, you know, some. He was making a move, a three bet squeeze, and he's got two pair or anything like that. So he's okay. pretty much limited to one pair or, you know, ace high in my what, mind. What makes you take out the sets in two pair? Because of his bet sizing. Okay, and have you played with this player before much, or is this kind of. No, I played with him all day okay. in this tournament. Or for you know three or four hours before this hand, you've yeah. Okay, uh-huh. cool. So I just yeah, I just take those out of his range because I think for most people they when they have really strong hands like that they're going to want to make sure they get some value for it, not just bet okay. you know seven fourteen and just really pushing it hard unless they're against a total sucker you know what maybe I who am. calls that's right. calls a three oh six three suited and <laughs> yeah 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 well either either a sucker or. Somebody who's won like four million dollars playing playing tournaments. Of course, no. I just you mean know? like if he thinks he can get value. Like I, I would, I, <laughs> I would. Just mean I'm, I'm giving shit, man. Yeah, you yeah. and I were giving each other shit. The table too is so great. Yeah, you know? I, I, I just think you know, I haven't played with this guy, yeah. but someone who's like a younger professional. Yeah. I just think a three or four hour sample is is not big enough to take take those hands out of his range, okay. and that you know a professional even that's not even True. that good. Is probably going to be smart enough to correctly value bet, you know, his yeah. better one pair hands and his two pair hands because if he even thinks there's a chance of you getting out of line here or mm-hmm. calling down with one pair, mm-hmm. where then these big bets are getting value. You know, mm-hmm. he's getting he's getting you to call mm-hmm. preflop with six three suited, call with a gut shot, call with double. You know, but what two pair can he really have? Jack nine. I guess he could have any two pair if he's three betting. If he's three bet squeezing, right? not necessarily any two pair, but yeah, I mean, I think he, I think seven five suits in his range. I don't think he would. Really? I don't think a I mean, again, I didn't play with a guy, but like, right. you know, so, a good so professional would be If those hands are in his range, then that makes my 6-3 suited in position uh, a great play. Right? I completely disagree. I th- really? Well, I mean, I, one, I think... So you- the weaker his range, the weaker his range, the more it makes my call incorrect? No. It's just a very incorrect call, I think. Like, I think you should no, be folding right. to the limp. I and you. I think if you're going to make the play that I think is a mistake of right. raising the limper... If you're going to continue in the hand, it's because you think this player is over three bet bluffing, and then you four bet. Calling in position with this relatively low SPR, I think, mm-hmm. is just very almost impossible to play profitably against a player that's confident. okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I I just again here I'm just using my advantages to my advantage, mm-hmm. my chip stack and my position, and also the deceptive value of my hand. So I think the, all those things work to my favor. Yeah, I mean, I th- you definitely have the position and this, and you know, eighty big blinds going for you. I just think that doesn't come close to overtaking just how bad of a hand six three suit it is. You know. Okay. All right. But, yeah. Fair enough. No, that's that's what this game's all about. Yeah. We go to the felt and we and we play it out and uh, you know and we compete and we compete and combat. And one of the things that I, you know, in my game that I haven't definitely haven't shied away from yeah and sometimes to a fault is i'm not afraid of getting in the middle and and doing combat yeah 
um, this is such a game of determination uh-huh. and willpower and uh, as well as the cards. So yeah. I, I have a good balance in that, I think. Okay. Um, I absolutely certainly can fold this to the limper. I can certainly fold to the three better, and I have many times. Yeah. So there's a good mix of that. Uh, so yeah. the standard would be to fold, right? Um, creativity, creativity-wise, um, it's to call. So I can take the path of playing standard, or I can take the path of being creative. Well, I think you're making a pretty big false dichotomy there. Like, I think. Oh yeah, tell me. Yeah, like I don't think it's like between being creative or being standard, playing standard. I think it's about just playing profitably. And I think playing mm-hmm. profitably, especially in like a low stakes tournament that involves exploiting other people, involves a lot of creativity. Right. Uh, I just it's it's I don't have an objection to the fact that you're taking a line that's maybe different than standard. I just think it's right. not going to be profitable. Ah, why not? Because your hand six three suited is just doing so terribly against that range, and that your post flop skill edge as well as having position isn't going to make up for how bad of a hand that you have against the the strength of that range that he has. If I were just to play a hand, I would agree with you. But now we have to define what a hand is. You know, is hand just cards? Is what makes up a hand? Well, I mean, so you're you're calling you know an additional forty eight hundred dollars pre flop, right? Uh, and then you're seeing the flop with an SPR of of seven. Right. So again, if you're if you're five hundred big blinds deep with a fish, yeah, clear limp behind or raise on the button. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm all with you. You know, in the first yeah, level, yeah. I was limping hands like king ten offsuit whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and then I you know I hit a flop to straight and got right. straight big blinds from an overpair. That's, you know, I can make up for how bad my hand is and how it's often right. dominated so much because of how deep we are and those gifts that you'll get a small percentage of the time. Right. When you're significantly less deep like this and you're up against a guy where, you know, yeah, if you've been playing with him for years and you know kind of like all of his tells, all of his leaks, and you just feel like you can exploit him really well, then yeah, then maybe like mm-hmm. you could play this hand marginally profitable. I just find it hard to imagine that like mm-hmm. there's a young professional where calling this three-bit in position is going to be a profitable endeavor. Okay. That's, Fair enough. That's Fair all enough. it is. We, we, agree, but, <laughs> we agree to disagree. So you so you call you call mm-hmm. the 14K, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So now we're seeing a river with a 55K pot and mm-hmm. 23K left in the effective stack. Yeah. And so the river comes an offsuit deuce to okay. brick. And um, so, as predicted, my opponent checks. Uh you got to shove now if you get to the hand this way, right? That's right. <laughs> I ship it, and he insta-folds, and okay. uh, so we win this hand. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so that was, so that was an interesting hand um, that was in that table. That wasn't the day, that was, that was the day after that you and I had met. Yeah. Uh, you played an interesting hand, actually. After we had made the bet, I walked up behind you. Just to check and see how you're doing. It was, yeah. a, it was the it was the the last hand before the break. Oh yeah. So I've, I'm standing. I flatted. I flatted a, a four bet with ace king in position. That's and, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and the flop came in ace. Yeah. And he bet. And this is a huge pot. Yeah. And this huge pot is brewing. Yeah. I could have. Perhaps we should he, talk he, about he that. He had hand. me covered. It was pretty standard. It, I was playing against like a 
a Brazilian guy who yeah. was really loose and really aggressive. Yeah. It was blind versus blind on the last hand. Uh-huh. He raised. I had ace king in the big blind, so I three bet. So he four bet me, and uh, you know I think there's a good argument for calling and five betting here. But the stacks were kind of awkward to five bet. I just thought that if I five bet, I might get dominated hands that he might four bet for value, like ace queen or bluffs to shut down. Where given like right. you know it's a bit of a stereotype, but I find that uh, the Brazilians I've played with in tournaments have always been just like hyper aggressive, yes. pretty big egos. Yes, I agree. So I thought that just like. Basically, I'm going to peel ace-king, and if I flop an ace or a king, I'm just going to call down kind of no matter what on most board textures. And then if it's a safe board, I'll, like, you know, call call once because ace-king is probably ahead of the range. And flopped an ace, and then, you know, he bet three. So so if it comes a safe board, meaning a dry, low board, you're going to call once? Yeah, probably. I mean, it all then, depends on bet sizing and everything. Right, right, right. But right. I'm, I'm definitely not calling ace-king in position to, f- to fold every flop I don't hit an ace or a king. Gotcha. That'd be pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, an ace flops... And it's a relatively safe run out, and he bets three streets, and he has ace queen. So, yeah, you know. and he bets big too. Yeah, he bets huge. I mean, your your call. The reason I didn't shove the river yeah, is yeah. because I just thought I'm not going to get value from worse, and that his bet sizing seemed to me like ace jack, set of jacks, right. or air. So I didn't see much value in raising. In retrospect, I could have raised the river. Uh, with Ace King, because knowing later he would have definitely called against me. <laughs> uh, but at the yeah. time, like I, I just think. It was just so unlikely that he'd bet so huge with Ace Queen, yeah. Uh, because it's just kind of ambitious to get called by worse for three streets. But and you, you caught, know. but you called him to your credit. You called him pretty quick. Yeah, oh well, I, 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 I yeah, already I, had I, your plan. Yeah, for me, I'm very. I obviously try to react in the moment mm-hmm. to tells and everything. Typically, when I do an action, most of my thinking has already been done. So when when he pauses for like X amount of seconds on that river on the safe card, mm-hmm. I'm basically just like whatever size he bets, I call. And unless he bets really small, I'm not raising. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's really cool. Really cool. Yeah, that was a fun hand. I definitely yeah. thought I was like, man, I just made this $500 last longer, or $750, $500 last longer. And here I am going to get out <laughs> blind versus blind in a cooler. Yeah. yeah. Have, you know, 3X, 3.5X your chip stack. But it didn't, you know, I luckily. Good for you. I, yeah. I went on for the rest of the day and unfortunately uh, got out on the last level. Uh, aces against a flush draw on a safe board for like a huge a huge wow. pot against a pro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was actually uh, so today is Monday, July third. His episode is going to go up tomorrow where we talked about him. We played together, Andrew Moreno. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. He was, I think, the seat to your direct right uh, before you got yep. out for a little I bit. I remember him. Yeah. So he's a Las Vegas pro. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. So that was disappointing, but at least I was able to I was able to give the chips chip to someone who I play with for the whole day and. Who can yeah, you really, well. you, you, really, you really played well. Uh, you had a lot of determination, I could tell. Like really early when we sat down at the table, uh, there were lines being drawn, I don't know, psychological or whatever it was. It just felt like I was going to go to battle with you, you know? Oh, yeah. It's, fu- it's funny. I mean, I, so I think you think a lot about the determination and the battling probably yeah, more yeah. than I do. Yeah, for, I do. For me, it's more of just like, Based on observing you playing, mm-hmm. you seemed, and then I like looked you up when I saw your logo and everything. Yeah. I was like, you didn't come today. At least what I thought, based on the six-three suited hand, I might have to revise it. You didn't seem to come today to be playing huge pots against young pros. You came to at least in the first levels be exploiting other players. So given kind yeah. of how loose you were playing, I thought you were a good target to mm-hmm. three bet a lot because, especially when I was in position, you were just yeah. going to fold a lot. Uh, ended up working. For yeah, the yeah, few yeah, hands yeah, we played, but. 
course I, I did. I, I, was, I never had any. Exactly. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't trying to go to battle with yeah. you. I just thought you no, know, I there were a few good hey, spots. That, yeah. but back to the question then. What's yeah. a hand? I mean, it's, I, I'm not speaking just two cards. I mean, the, the entire Yeah, hand. that's right. But, that's exactly. But that's, yeah. but that's my point, you know. Uh-huh. Um, I love your title and your site. It's just hands. Mm-hmm. But the, the word just doesn't even do it justice. Because what is a hand? You know, yeah. it's so much. There's so much. Of course, there. yeah, yeah. And, I mean, look. Uh, I mean, we've talked for an hour just about two hands. You know, like yeah, and uh, and there's so much. It's so rich. Mm-hmm. So uh, I enjoyed playing the hands. I did get to play with you, and look forward to playing with you in the future. Thank you. Well, You're before welcome. we move on to the kind of more yeah. interview section, sure. even though it's sure. kind of been interspersed, okay. yeah. 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 Uh, is there anything you want to plug for our audience? Do you do anything mm. like coaching or motivational speaking? I do both those <laughs> things. Basically, I'm a uh, you know the triple threat. I guess I, I'm a I'm a player, both cash and tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, I coach personally, privately. Yeah. Uh, you know they can go to my website, kenofjames.com, or uh-huh. at ken underscore james to reach me. But I'm very selective. I only. I'm not a mass coach. I'm a very private, confidential uh, coach. I work on mental strength and conditioning, emotional control, mm-hmm. um, things off the table that sometimes people have difficulty with. Yeah. Um, and that usually transfers onto the table. Uh, I'm big on choice and management yep. and things like that and personal development. So. I do that, and then I also commentate. I, I'm the commentator for Heartland Poker Tour. Oh, cool. And, okay. So you travel uh, around do, doing all that? Uh, no, actually, we do most of the shows in Kansas City as far as the ADR for them, so we're not doing them live. Oh, okay. So you, you fly in and just kind of... I fly in do and tape, do yeah. four shows. But I play on I play on the tour from time to time. Okay. I played the championship up in California recently and the one back in Kansas City. But I certainly, after traveling on the the WPT for 10 years or 12 years, whatever it was. Wow. Uh, I'm getting much older now. I'm a dinosaur. I don't move mm-hmm. quite as fast. So I like staying home and playing here. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I, I, I do do some uh, public speaking. I have a, uh, an engagement coming up actually with a bunch of lawyers in Utah, how to use uh, poker concepts and principles to win in the courtroom, you know? Cool. So, yeah, there's a lot of of cross things that we can do with the skills that we have as players. Yeah. Whether it's reading people, um, positioning, you know, uh, understanding what people value and how to use that as leverage and edge. All those kinds of concepts that we can teach people that are not of our culture yeah. or our community and also profit by it and then bring it back to the poker community yeah. and play for it. So, cool. yeah. Well, check out Ken and James, KenandJamesCoaching.com? Uh, no, just KenandJames.com. Not that, but if you want to see the other Ken and James, you can, you know, you can definitely do that, but don't forget about uh, Ken and James the poker. Cool. The poker dude. The dude. Well, thank you very much. Uh, let's take maybe a, a, just a short break before we get into a little bit of the interview. Is that, that okay? I, You know what? I would love that. That would be okay. great. And I'd, I'd 